This is James Miller, your future strategist. Today we're going to discuss one of my favorite topics, adverse selection. Now, adverse selection is best understood through a joke by the late comedian Groucho Marx. He once said, I refuse to join any club that would have me as a member. Let me repeat the joke. I refuse to join any club that would have me as a member. This is actually rational. Imagine that you want to join a club in order to increase your social status. And the main way you, you know, get social status is by associating with high status people. So you would very much like to join a country club that had high status members. But you know yourself that you are not considered a high status person. So the only clubs that would be willing to accept you would be clubs that weren't very exclusive, that didn't have many high status people, and clubs that really wouldn't help your social standing. So let's say there was a club and you said to yourself, you know, I'm about 90% confident that this is a very exclusive club that I would like to join. But if you join and get accepted, the rational response would be, oh, I guess this is that 10% case where I, where, I was, you know, where I was wrong and where this club isn't exclusive, so I don't want to join. You see, when you, when you get admitted to a, a club, you learn something. You learn that that club has membership standards that are low enough to be willing to accept you. So getting admitting, admitted to a club lowers your estimate of the value of you joining that club, and it's quite possible, it's not certain, but it's possible that you should be unwilling to join a club that would accept you, which of course means that you shouldn't join any club. Adverse selection manifests when you have uncertainty about something and when you find out that that organization or person wants to associate with you, you lower your estimate of the benefit you would get from associating with it. So under adverse selection, the people who most want to associate with you are the people you least want to associate with it. So a famous example is with the used car market. So you're thinking of buying a used car. Who most wants to sell you a used car? Unfortunately, it's going to be the person who has the lowest quality used car. So you might look at a car and say, gee, I think this car is worth about $5,000. But if the owner were willing to sell it to you for $4,000, you would say to yourself, wait a minute, the owner knows more about this car than I do. The owner only thinks it's worth, the owner's willing to accept $4,000 for it, so it's probably worth much less than that. So even though I thought before the owner made an offer to me that it was worth $5,000, now I'm actually, I value it less than $4,000, so I reject the owner's offer. Another example, I've used this with my students. I, I point to a student and I, who has a handbag and I say, let's imagine that I really, really like handbags. And I think, man, the handbag the student has, and I'm holding up the handbag, it just looks fantastic. And I, I bet right now, I, I would estimate I'm willing to pay $200 for it. And then I said, what if I offered to pay $200 for it and then the student accepted? I might now want to get out of the deal because... The fact that the student thinks it's worth getting $200 to, in exchange for the handbag, that should lower my estimate of how much that handbag is worth. It was a really expensive handbag. It was a designer handbag worth $500. If I offered the student $200 for it, she's going to say no. 
So the fact that the student is willing to sell me the handbag for $200, this is a negative signal about the quality of the handbag. And so even though I thought, I would guess, you know, I think it's worth me paying $200 for this handbag, I gain information if the student were to accept my offer, and that information is a negative signal as to the quality of the handbag. Adverse selection often comes up in dating. So we all, you know, we have criteria for who we want to date, and often our criteria are kind of correlated. You know, the person in high school who's the most popular, who most see boys want to date, you know, this probably has certain characteristics that make her very desirable. Now, we, you ask someone out on a date, and they accept, you've learned something. You've learned that this person's standards are low enough to consider going out with you, and that's actually a bad signal. You'd say to yourself, wait, why, why is this person willing to go out with me? What's wrong with them? I mean, imagine you ask out someone who's very, very good looking. I mean, you know, much better looking than you are. Normally way out of your league. You figure, ah, I'm going to go for it. I'll almost certainly get rejected. You know, it's, it's good practice in getting rejected. You ask the person out and they're like, oh, that's fantastic. I've been dying to go out with you. Thank you so much. I'm really, really, really excited to date you. You should now be very suspicious. You're like, wait a minute. This person is really, really beautiful. And, you know, he or she is excited to date me. Well, what's wrong with her that or him that makes me their best option? So this is often why adverse selection is often why people play hard to get when, when dating. What you'd like to do is you'd like to date the person that who would barely consider going out with you, right? That's the best you can do is someone whose standards are such, like if you're a seven, that they just date between, you know, seven and higher. You want to date someone who date, you know, you're a seven who dates from, you know, anywhere from two to 10, because then you probably can do better than this person. So if you want to date someone, you should try to signal to them, perhaps falsely, that you would, they're just barely in your range, because that means you're the highest quality person they could consider going out with. You certainly don't want to convince the person that you're dying to date them, because if you do, that's a bad signal about your invisible characteristics. You know, if, if you, you ask someone out who's very attractive and they're dying to date you, you, you'd probably say to yourself, wait a minute, this person, you know, her, his or her friends, you know, they, they know he or she is beautiful, but they also know about this person's personality and, and this person is desperate to date me. That probably means that his or her friends know bad things about them and therefore don't want to date them. So what am I getting in for? What's wrong with this person? Health insurance is another area where there's adverse selection problems, right? You, you most want health insurance if you're going to really have very expensive medical bills. So health insurance companies have to be careful about this. If someone is signing up for you know, expensive health insurance, they'll say to themselves, wait a minute, why is this person signing up now? It might well be because they know they're going to need a very expensive operation or medical procedure soon. Right? I mean, if something horrible happens, say you found out you'd have cancer and you didn't have health insurance, of course, you'd want to go out and buy really, really great health insurance. But, you know, the health insurance companies don't like this approach. So uh, they're, what they um, at least used to do in the United States is that they would screen you before you buy health insurance. You have to submit your medical records. You have to promise you enough pre-existing conditions, and they might send a nurse to give you an examination. Now, in the United States, under Obamacare, they... Um, abolish screening so health insurance companies couldn't deny you coverage because of pre-existing conditions 
But in order to compensate for the then obvious adverse selection problem, Obamacare supposedly mandates that everyone has to buy health insurance. Because, right, if all Obamacare did was say anyone can get health insurance and the health insurance companies cannot discriminate against you because you have a pre-existing condition, then what most people would do is they'd wait till they got sick and then buy health insurance. And so all the clients of health insurance, the health insurance industry would be very sickly and the health insurance industry would have to charge huge rates or they'd go broke. So what Obama did was he said, okay, we'll, we'll solve the adverse selection problem by saying everyone has to buy health insurance. And that way, the fact that someone wants to buy health insurance is not a, a signal that they're sick. It's just a signal that they're following the law. Imagine that you are a landlord in some town and most landlords require security deposits. They require a three month security deposit and you know the, the way the security deposit works is after you, you move out, the landlord inspects your apartments and if there's damage, he takes the money from the security deposit. But say, you know, this is a really nice city and you've always had luck with your tenants. You've always returned the full security deposit because none of your tenants have ever damaged their apartments. So you're thinking, you know, I, I'm not gonna have a security deposit. I'll, you know, it'll be easier for me to attract tenants. Very, very dangerous because of adverse selection. If all landlords but you in your city require security deposits, well, what kind of tenant is gonna be attracted, especially attracted to your building? Well, someone who knows that they're gonna trash the apartment before they leave. So even if you've never used, you've never you know, withheld any of the security deposit, if everyone else is charging one, you might want it too, or else you are going to attract very destructive tenants. Adverse selection is something that employers have to be very worried about. Imagine you have a business, and this is a business where an unscrupulous employee could steal money from you. Maybe they'll be working a cash register and you don't really have very good records. You know, people often just, you know, leave a $20 bill and then walk away. And you, you know the employee could just put the $20 bill in her pocket. But you estimate most people in your area are honest, so you're not that worried. You're like, yeah, 95, 99% of the people in this city are honest. So I have pretty good chance I'm not going to hire someone who's going to steal from me. No, no, no. You've got to worry about adverse selection. Who is going to be most attracted to a job where you have the opportunity to steal money from employers? Well, someone who wants to steal. You know, if somebody, some sociopath who's hoping to steal money, they're going to look through job, you know, job ads and say, ah, here's a job where I could steal money. You'll be especially attracted to that kind of job. So if you have a job where someone could take money from you from if they're dishonest, you've got to be very, very careful that you don't, you don't let adverse selection greatly increase the odds of you hiring a dishonest person. And one way to do that, of course, is to you know, run a background check, or maybe you're not quite honest when you advertise the job. You kind of hide the opportunity for, for corruption, for graft, when you advertise the job. That way, people who want to steal won't be especially attracted to the job. Other reasons that when, when you hire someone, you, you have to be very worried why the person left their old job. I mean, if someone left their old job, sometimes you leave jobs for really good reasons. You know, you, you can do better. You're, you've learned enough at that old job and you're ready for more responsibility. Maybe you're the past employer, the past boss was a horrible person and you didn't want to deal with the abuse. 
But there's also bad reasons for leaving a job. Maybe you left the old job because you were caught stealing and the old company said, all right, look, we won't go to the police if you quit quietly. Maybe you were grossly incompetent. Maybe you were toxic. Maybe you just said nasty things all day and they hated you and they finally got you to leave. So when you're when a new employer is looking at hiring you, they're like, wait a minute, why did you leave your past job? I want to make sure it wasn't for a bad reason. You see, when you hire somebody, it's sort of like dating, that the person who most wants your job is the person with the least prospects, right? The person who most wants to date you is the person who, if they couldn't date you, would have the most trouble finding another date. Similarly, the person who would most like to work for you is the person who has the least marketplace opportunities to get a job. But chances are that's not the kind of person you want to hire. So you've got to be very careful when hiring somebody to say, wait a minute, if this person wants the job too much, I probably don't want to hire them because it means they're desperate. Now, since this is supposed to be in part a, a podcast about strategy, think about what that means if you are applying for a job. If you're applying for a job, it's very important that you don't appear desperate. Maybe, you know, if you're applying for a job, let it slip that you're applying for a bunch of other jobs or you're, maybe you'd be happy staying where you are. You have a lot of opportunity and, you know, this, the place you're applying for is one potential place you could work, but you're not desperate to work there. Also, if you left your previous job for a, a good or even a neutral reason, make sure to state that. Because if you don't say why you left your last job, your employer might think, ooh, what are you hiding? You, you, did, you did something bad. It's also a good idea to not allow there to be holes in your resume, at least after you, you finish college. Right? If, you, if you leave a hole in your resume, an employer you know, looking at that will say, wait a minute, what were you do during this three-year period? Why, why didn't you tell me? If, obviously, if you were doing something spectacular during these three years, you would have told me. And there's a chance you were doing something very bad. Maybe you were in prison. Maybe you work for an employer and were fired. And you know darn well, if I call up where you used to work, I'm going to hear awful things about you. So this means that even if you were did something neutral, you had a kind of a boring job. It doesn't really do much to improve your skills. You left on good terms. You should put that in your resume. You should really try to avoid leaving a hole because leaving a hole is a signal that something is, you know, really something is dangerous is going on. It's kind of like on a date. If you're, you're imagine you're on a date and you, you ask someone on a first date, you say, so uh, what were you doing last week? And the person's like, oh, I don't want to tell you. No, come on, tell me. No, 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 I, I refuse to explain. That's, you're going to be really scared. So it's important not to leave holes, even if you have not exciting things. Just you know, put those not exciting things on your resume to avoid leaving a hole, just to avoid the chance of the person who's interviewing you thinking you did something uh, very, very bad. And if, if you have a hole in your resume because, say, you, know, you, were, you were raising a child or taking care of a sick relative, you know, be sure to mention that because you, you don't want, again, the employer to think this hole means you were in prison, you're hiding something, you're a person I really, really, really want to avoid. The, the final adverse selection I, issue I want to talk about involves political leaders. There is an enormous problem with adverse selection in power. Unfortunately, the people who most want power 
are often the people least suited for it. If you think of the 20th century, you have you know Stalin, Hitler, Mao, Pol Pot. I mean, these are just evil psychopaths who like killing, and they somehow all manage to get power. That's not a coincidence. You know, to rise to the top of a dictatorship, it, it kind of helps if you're willing to use violence to kill your enemies, to kill your enemies' children. Even in a democracy, one suspects that the having the qualities to become, get elected president, that's maybe a negative sign about your character. I mean, in order to become president, you, you, know, you certainly have an advantage if you're willing to take positions not that you believe in, but that you know, are popular. So people who have convictions and who say, well, no, I'm sorry, I know this other issue is more pop, this position is more popular, but I'm going to stick with what I believe, they're at a disadvantage. So this is often why I think, in, in, at least in the United States, you observe politicians saying, you know, I don't really want to be president, but I need to for the common good of, of the world, rather than saying, which probably the truth is, yeah, I've dreamed about being president since kindergarten, and I've planned, you know, my life this way, and I acquired all these skills. And in order to become president, and yeah, I'm of course taking positions on issues to maximize my chance of being president. You know, people aren't honest about that, but unfortunately, you know, the person who is willing to do anything to become president is the person who has the advantage compared to the other someone who isn't. Now, fortunately, in the United States, our constitution was designed with um, checks and balances in order to limit the power of the presidency. I think the founding fathers of, of the United States figured, you know, presidencies are more likely to attract people like Julius Caesar than George Washington. So they prepared a constitution taking into account the fact that someone with the personality of Julius Caesar is, is inevitably going to get elected president someday. And, you know, hopefully our, our republic uh, can, will be able to survive the experience. And so far, it's, you know, except for the course of the Civil War, things have gone pretty well. Okay, well, thank you for listening to me today. Goodbye.